Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Performance Group Podcast. My name is Sean Kirby, and I will be your host today. In today's episode, um, Eve and I were able to sit down with Adam Hoeksema. Adam Hoeksema is the Executive Director at Bankable, Bankable, um, powered by the flagship, that is. And um, we were we were put with um, Adam through a connection of Eve's at AU, and um, through the, the connection with AU and the flagship. We sat down, we kind of talked through his history um, at Bankable, how Bankable got its start, and how Bankable um, goes ahead and uses uh, their relationship with the SBA to lend money to small business entrepreneurs in our local community and give back to the city of Anderson. I think you guys are really going to like this episode, so please hold on, take a listen. Adam Hosama, correct? Yeah. No clickable pens in here. Everybody left their clickable <laughs> pens at home, so that makes things a lot easier. So today we have um, Adam Hoeksema of Bankable, powered by flagship, trademark. You see it right there in the corner. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about your position at Bankable. What is your role at Bankable, and how long have you been there? Yeah, so I'm the executive director at Bankable. I've been there... Um, a little over 10 years now. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, when, um, when I, I was graduating from undergrad, um, went to Taylor University and graduated from undergrad in 2010. Great school. And, um, and then uh, flagship at that time was just starting a microloan program. They yeah. had just been approved as a microlender through the SBA program and um, so I, I was kind of trying to find a find a way to get. I wanted I wanted to be at flagship. I, they're working with entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur at heart. They wanted, or I wanted to figure out a way to work there, and um, so kind of weaseled my way into helping out with launching that loan program, and um, have been there ever since. So ten years ago, two thousand ten, right? Yeah. So. The world had just collapsed and is now trying to rebuild. You're graduating from a private school, paying private school tuition, and you're going, I want to risk it all to be part of the flagship. Um, in 2010, I don't even really know what I was doing in 2010. So how did you hear about the flagship? Were they coming to Taylor? Were they coming to try to sell kids on this dream of being part of their, you know, organization or how'd you end up there? yeah so uh, when I was at Taylor it was actually um, Grant County and which is where Taylor is is located um, I think had received some sort of grant to try to create a business incubator see if they could create a business incubator in um, in Grant County and Taylor uh, a couple Taylor professors um, were kind of working on this grant to create you know, like a business plan or feasibility study to see like could we could we have a business incubator. So we were going around. I I got to be like the student uh, worker or whatever, yeah. on, like on this grant. So I was helping do some of that research and, and work. Um, and we went around and visited uh, incubators in Fort one in Fort Wayne and one in Kokomo and the flagship and maybe one other. Um, and so that was probably my sophomore year um, but I was just 
when I went and visited Visa for an incubation, this is really cool. You know, the idea of it was really cool. Like, got all these uh, startups, high potential startups in, in the same building and they could kind of rub shoulders and be thinking about ideas. And I thought that seems like a kind of place I'd like to, like to, be. to be. So when you think of the word incubator, at least when I think of the word incubator, I don't think of Fort Wayne or Anderson. I think of West Coast, I think of East Coast, I think 90% of local people would not assume that there's one down the road. I think when you hear the flagship yeah. enterprise, nobody knows what it is. Yeah. Truly. They yeah. just know Nestle's behind it. Yeah. Honestly. So, um, one, can you describe an incubator? I think you kind of said it at the end of rubbing shoulders with smart people make smarter people. Um, how we can push more people to think that that's something the Midwest can be a part of rather than everybody think you have to be in Silicon Valley. Yeah, sure, yeah. <clears throat> so it's, uh, it, you know, the way it's supposed to work or the way it was <clears throat> designed to work at, at Flagship, you know, is you have a building and you have shared resources. Um, and so instead of every um, every startup having, uh, you know, front desk and like reception area and uh, printer, you know, high powered printer and scanner and fax machine, and, you know, whatever, all the things that you need, you share those resources so that the startup could really just, you know, focus solely uh, on, on the business and not have to have all these other things. Um, and, you know, they don't have to have their own office with uh, their own conference room. They could share, we have, you know, shared conference rooms, so you just schedule them out. And so, I mean, that's the general idea of like what our incubator and, and Anderson uh, model was really kind of that. And then, um, so, you know, things have changed really since like that concept really started in 2005, I think, was when the incubator building was built here in Anderson. Um, but nowadays, you know, 15 years later, if you hear incubator accelerator program, it's more of like a, it's more of a program, not yeah. a building. And and really, what we had is more of the, the building. And um, we would try, you know, we would try to have programs along along with that. But now, you know, you think of uh, Y Combinator or or some other you know, Techstars, tech um, accelerator programs that are like cohort-based, 12-week uh, thing, you all come together, you know. So that is not <clears throat> not what we had. Um, and, and I can understand, you know, uh, why that, it makes sense why those things are, you know, on the coasts. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we, we did, we, the, the incubator model is hard. Um, uh, so just from a business perspective, you, you, if you think about the, what it's supposed to, the way it's supposed to work is if you bring in these companies, these new startups when they don't have revenue yet, or they have little revenue, they can't really afford to pay much rent. Um, and then the hope is that you help them get started and grow until the point that they can out of the incubator out on their own um, so once they're like once you've helped them grow to the point where they could actually pay rent or yeah. pay a decent rent like they're now you're supposed to kick them out and so 
that model um, is is a tough model to to make work. And so I think really that's and kind of getting back to bankable um, and why the loan program made sense was because we could we could one we could lend to businesses that didn't have to be in the building. Yeah, and then. We also are provided a, a grant through the SBA uh, called the Technical Assistance Grant that allows us to work with these companies and get paid to work with them um, versus you know in the incubator. If we worked with you, really the only, if we put in more hours, the only way we ever really get paid for that is if you end up leasing more space. Yeah. But then eventually we want to kick you out. So just... Yeah. So is there an ownership model there? So the incubators you hear about, Wes, it's 10% ownership of whatever mm-hmm. idea you might have. Yeah. So when you kick these people out, yeah, you lose the lease money, but do you receive still the 10% equity or is there no equity? No, that, that not in that kind of older model. Um, and so, you know, incubators and in, like the incubator in Fort Wayne or, or the one that we visited, Kokomo and, and in the flagship, all are really more real estate okay. driven. Um, you know, what we did, what flagship did was to make some sense of the model, we built a couple different accelerator buildings, we call them, so it'd be kind of like you're growing out of the incubator, but we have another building that's larger, you could use. use more space, pay more of a market rate maybe. Um, and. So we we did that to make the financial model make some sense, but but really the the loan program and the technical assistance grant really helps um, make make our business model work. And so are all your accelerated programs or buildings full? Is your building full of incubator participants, people now? Or I mean, yeah. like how many businesses are within that? Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, what type of businesses are they? Are they all tech startups? I mean, yeah, yeah. So when I started back in 2010, you know, incubator was 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 full or very close to being full, and it was a mix of we had um, definitely some tech on the um, uh, well, Anderson's kind of automotive town, so there was a couple of. Um, electric vehicle type company. So there was a there, there was a company, the biggest client that we had at the time uh, was uh, called Bright Automotive and they were working on a electric um, van. van. I saw the, yeah. I went back far enough to LinkedIn the yeah. other night that I saw that. It's actually really cool. It was yeah. a cool model. I saw um, yeah, Mitch Daniels out there, yeah. all sorts of people. Yeah, This is in 2007. It was pretty amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. So it, it was, it was crazy, really, it was really crazy because I, I was there and Bright was going after the same funding that uh, Tesla got. So Tesla, uh, Tesla and then other, um, it was coming out of the 2008, 2009 financial crisis, there was a, a large stimulus package that helped fund green energy initiatives. Um, Tesla was the first, or one of the first that got this, like maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of like three or $400 million federal Department of Energy loan 
um, that allowed them to ramp up manufacturing. Yeah. Without that loan, you know, it probably would have been tough for them to raise the capital needed to get that initial yeah. manufacturing. And so that's what Bright was going for. They had the prototype. They were right. You know, they were trying to get. They needed a few hundred million dollars to be able to get to. It's all it takes. Few hundred million Yeah. But they had, you know, they had the pre-orders or the, you know, kind of commitments uh, for the for the vehicles um, from, you know, your Comcast, your AT and T type. Yeah. That service van, um, which was cool about the models that they could sell to Comcast, they could sell. You know, 10,000 units. units. Yeah. Um, so they, uh, I'm probably speaking more than I really know, but I mean, they were, I just remember that Tesla, Tesla got the money, a couple of battery companies got the money, and there was one um, that went out of business pretty quickly. Yeah. And so that, like, turned off the faucet of um, any more additional funding because you know, taxpayer money okay we're just going to stop doing yeah. this and, and that I think that was kind of when, when Bright when the Fed said no more you know well Bright's business model to get to commercialization really required someone to do that to lend that kind of money yeah. um, so anyway long story short yeah, we, had, we had different so Bright, and then some other um, tech companies, and then also just some other, like, uh, a marketing firm and an accounting firm had an office there and um, set kind of support services around businesses were in the building as well. Yeah. Um, no, uh, no equity um, in, our, in our model. That really has kind of caught fire really probably since 2010. Yeah. Um, so anyway, as we started growing the, the loan program and seeing how we could actually help more startups and small businesses do the loan program and get paid in the financial model made sense, we thought, okay, we've got these buildings. What if we use the buildings to attract bigger, more stable companies that can bring good paying jobs yeah. to the community. And so that, that was kind of a strategic shift maybe in 2012, 13. Um, we said, okay, we're gonna do more of our startup and small business work through the loan program and use the real estate assets to attract jobs. Yeah. And, and so that's really what we're more today. We do have, um, we have a couple different battery technology companies um, in our different buildings um, and then really the, the rest is probably more larger um, more stable hopefully technology we still want to try to we're hoping to have good paying jobs right? yeah so. which is what Anderson needs yeah, right. when so we really haven't talked that much about vehicle but yeah. I find that <laughs> well I've been here for been in Pendleton since I was a kid, eight years old in 2004, and I had no idea what the flagship center was. So to kind of hear the backstory of somebody trying to do something that I find is not something most people look for in the Midwest. Um, it's something you hear of on the coasts. I find it very uh, nice for the kids at AU, Ball State, 
to stay local. I think that's the biggest thing is the kids from AU get up and go find a good paying job, not in Anderson, Indiana. So if we can attract, attract and keep good people, that's something my dad says all the time, that's the hardest part of being an employer or owning real estate, right? Because if you can't fill the buildings, then it's not doing anything for you. So Bankable started, so you, who did you work for before Bankable? Were you just yeah straight straight out of straight out of undergrad straight out of undergrad um, and I mean so when we started the loan program in two thousand ten I mean it was it was flagship but we called the flagship micro loan program I don't you know after a while you know, answering the phone hey this is yeah I'm looking the flagship micro loan program that um, was a mouthful so we um, came up with a bankable that I think is great because it fits what we're trying to we rebranded as bankable because it fits what we're trying to do is helping small businesses that are not yet able to get a loan at a bank so they're not yet bankable mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and try to help uh, provide some funding for them for a period of time until they are able to graduate and go so how does that process work if you can't get money from a bank what what does that look like do they get referred to you guys how do they find out about bankable yeah so so that is uh, that is how most of our um, process works and it's probably why you know maybe um, some folks haven't uh, many folks haven't heard of us and it's a little bit by design um, because we well, our customer, you know, our customers are our borrowers, but it's also the banks too. Yeah. And so we want to make sure that we're not competing with the banks. We don't, we don't, we truly want to make sure that if you can go to a bank, that you you should. And so, like, we price our interest rates a little bit higher than what you're going to get at a bank um, to give you that economic incentive to you know go to the bank when you can. Um, so for that reason, we don't do much marketing direct to small business owners um, because our process, you know, is going to be, we get you through the section application process and your loan officer is going to say, you know, hey, have you, have you been declined? Have you talked to a bank or have you been declined by a bank? And if you say no, we're going to say, well, you should go try that first because yeah. it'd be yeah. better for you if you can get approved, it'd be right. better for you. So, um, so yeah, typically the process works like you know someone goes to the bank the banker maybe doesn't even do a formal decline just says hey you're you're less than two years old you're a startup uh, and you know it's just hard for us to lend to you yet why don't you go to bankable for a little while and then come back to us once you're a little older and so that's um, that's where most of our business comes from is from that referral so would you say the majority of people are looking for capital? They're looking for real estate transaction loans? Like, what's, what do most people come for when they say, hey, you know, my bank's declining because this building's in poor shape. I don't have the credit history, those types of things. What kind of money are they usually asking for? Um, so, tends to be um, working capital, equipment um, not so much on the real estate I, and I think part of that is because the banks 
uh, tend to be more likely to lend for real estate if you got you yeah, can take a mortgage or collateral. You know, it's that is easier. You know, um, so yeah, we tend to be more. Um, you know, good examples are like uh, your uh, in-home healthcare company, and you are billing to insurance, and you you know you provide service today. You got to pay your workers. You know, within two weeks, um, you bill insurance. You get paid ninety days later. Well, you're paying you're paying for three or four months worth of wages uh, before you're getting paid for that work. So that. You know, as that company grows, their need for working capital just expands, um, and and so a lot of businesses like that sometimes have trouble early on because they're not the bank's not quite ready to give them a line of credit. What they really need is a line of credit yeah. to be able to to float that. But um, when they're just a couple of years old or, or less, um, the bank wants to see more history, and so we'll. That's a good example for us to be able to come in. We provide a micro loan, um, and and can kind of help float that until they can get to the point where they have enough history, um, history of the business and credit history. Personally, we're you know we're looking at that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. so, can you kind of talk about how the SBA bank will work together? So yeah. the the lending process there. Yeah, so Bankable is, uh, we, we use two different SBA programs. One is the SBA microloan program. That's kind of our, our bread and butter. Um, it's most of our loan volume. Um, and that microloan program is less than 50,000. Uh, the, the loan, the largest loan as a microloan is less than 50,000. Um, and so just, I mean, just kind of the way that works we bankable actually borrows from the SBA um, in that program and then we relend out to business owners um, and then the um, the SBA also provides that technical assistance grant um, that allows us to get reimbursed for some of our time working with clients um, and, and I think really the idea with with that SBA program is that it's hard for a bank or or for us, I mean, for anyone to make any money on a six thousand dollar yeah micro loan, right? Um, it just it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it still is necessary. It might be a necessary step for a very small business to they need that first six thousand to be able to ever get up to the sixty or six hundred thousand dollar loan. Yeah, um, and so that's why you know SBA set this up to say, hey, we're gonna we're going to allow you to get reimbursed for some of your time because we know you're going to put in more time than you're going to make in interest and fee income. Yeah. And so if, without that grant, you know, no rational business owner would would do this work um, unless you're fundraising somehow. Yeah. You know? So we so that that's the SBA micro program. Then the SBA created a program called Community Advantage, which um, is for us is really from 50 to 250,000. It's kind of that next step. Um, you're still not quite bankable. Um, and this program is SBA guaranteed. So it is, um, there's some more, 
Uh, let me sit back on the microloan side. We're borrowing from SBA. Bankable has to pay SBA back whether our borrowers pay us back or not. But since we're borrowing and we get basically our loan committee can make their own decisions, can, we can decide to take risk and or, or not. Um, there's not, uh, we can make completely our own uh, loan lending decisions within the SBA rules. With community advantage, since it's SBA guaranteed, meaning the, say the client doesn't pay us back, SBA comes in and, and will pay us percentage of that loss so we don't we don't lose the whole thing um, because of that guarantee though SBA wants to have a little more involvement um, so our loan committee has to approve a loan then we have to submit to SBA it has to be approved by SBA as well gotcha. um, for that 50 to 250,000 dollar mark and um, that uh, that, that there's a little bit more paperwork. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, we we try to we try to limit the paperwork on the, until you're approved by our loan committee, and then if you're approved by our loan committee, we say okay, now there's just a second set. The SBA is gonna, but we don't want to make you. Tall. We don't want to make you do the SBA paperwork until at least our loan committee's approved you. So. Yeah. Make it easier on them. So you guys have a pretty tight knit uh, relationship with SBA. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last. Six months, I feel like the SBA's probably got more calls than they've gotten in the last. Yeah, <laughs> probably <Yes>. true. <laughs> um, how much assistance were you guys kind of put with existing clients on the PPP and EIDL stuff? And it all comes back to the SBA. Nobody knows what's going on. And everybody's calling your phone saying, help. Yeah. How much of your time was did you feel like was trying to help existing customers during that versus new business opportunities stuff like that? Yeah. Um, so we, you know, I think for me, what I remember is I think it was when the NBA like said the rest of the season's canceled or like postponed or something. Yeah. It was you were like, watching the game live. That, they that, just take them off the court. It was like oh no. That in my mind will always be like that was when it seemed like oh wow something's really going on here um, and so you know I think after that point um, you know the whole world started changing and so we you know I I, I was in my role I was part-time in, in my role at Bankable and so I decided hey there's a lot to do here there's a lot of, there's new programs coming out right and left every day there's you know PPP everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. And so I went back full time for for four months um, just to help out with that process. And we, um, in, in a couple months, we did, we were allowed to be a PPP lender um, as, a, as a SBA um, community advantage lender. We already had that like authority to oh, wow. be able to do that. So um, we, we ended up doing about nine, I think nine and a half million or so in loans, um, which is, you know, that we did that in like two months, which is about, uh, I think our best year before that was like six million in loans. So in two months, we just, we cranked out, 
cranked out a lot of loans. Wow. Um, and, uh, and, and so now, we, in addition to that, we have all of our existing clients that had SBA loans, you know, we're getting this uh, six months of payments made for them by the SBA, you know, whether they needed it or not, if they had an SBA loan, <laughs> which is, you know, as an SBA lender, we're thankful for yeah. all of you friendly taxpayers that are <laughs> putting the bill for that. Um, and, and in addition to that, any new micro loan that we would make or any new SBA loan that we would make during that time would get six month, their first six months paid for as well. Oh, wow. So we were, we did kind of a couple, two, three months of just almost all PPP. I mean, why it was forgivable loan, why would anyone want a real loan? Yeah. <laughs> a loan that you had to pay back until you had exhausted your options with PPP. So we we saw, you know, all PPP volume, almost no um, normal loan requests for a few months. And then um, now recently the normal loan requests have come back with a vengeance now that PPP and idle loans are, are done, uh, at least for the time being. And so we, we've seen uh, like a 100% increase year over year in loan applications. Last month, where they had over 100 applications, and um, it's yeah. How is that on the topic of the PDP idea? Have you heard anything about the loan forgiveness? I know they're working on more streamlined processes. Are any updates on that? Yeah. So it's a it's a maybe a little game of uh, chicken or um, kind of. As a, as a lender, um, we, well, we made a lot of, we made nine million in loans, it was about 375 loans, and we have a lot of loans that are very small. And so uh, when the loan forgiveness process, kind of the initial process came out, and we kind of working through this and realized, wow, this is, you know, for, uh, and we have some less than $2,000 PPP loans, you know, very, very small loans, um, thinking they're going to have to spend, you know, and you guys might might like this, but they're going to have to spend two grand with their CPA for yeah. to just get the right. paperwork in order to be able to ask for forgiveness. So um, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, and, and so, I mean, really what we're doing, and I think what most banks are doing, they've been talking Congress about below... 150,000. The loan is less than 150,000. They're talking about a, a streamlined forgiveness process. Um, so what what it seems like most banks are doing is just saying, any loan above 150, we're going to start going ahead and processing forgiveness applications. And you're probably going to have to do it the the more detailed way. For loans less than 150. I think everyone's just kind of waiting and hoping, waiting. Yeah. Um, because you just don't want to do that amount of work for a two or three or four thousand dollar loan. Um, so that's what we're doing too. We've only had we only have maybe ten loans or something out of our three hundred seventy um, that are greater than one hundred and fifty. So for most of our clients, we're just saying, hey, just just hold on yeah. and yeah. see. Um, until, until they say, you got to do it now, then I guess we'll do it. But 
Have you guys had to amp up your own employment to deal with the large volume, historic volume? Yeah, um, not yet. Um, just overworked your lab. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're just overworked yeah. right? You know, we've gone, we've gone remote. Uh, yeah. We've been remote since, uh, uh, you know, uh, that's also that when the NBA shut down, I think it was like the next day, we're like, maybe we should go remote for a couple of weeks. <laughs> and then yeah. here we are six, six months later. Six months later. So, um, and part of it, even like, thinking about uh, going back to the office is like, we're too busy to go back to the office. Or we're, we're like, we don't have time to be thinking about how to do a big transition. Because um, what we have going on right now is working. Yeah. Um, okay, we're processing a lot of volume. So, um, no, I think, you know, I think when... Um, when this all happened, it just kind of like, you know, all the stuff that we were working on and keeping ourselves busy with, and you know, always feeling very busy. It's like, you know, maybe that's not that important. Um, maybe that's like, maybe we don't need to be worried about that. I mean, there are things that we are probably doing that that we still will do that we won't just cancel forever. But just it's like, well, we we don't need to worry about. Uh, website redesign right now. Yeah. We need all hands on deck processing those. And so that that was really I think how we handle handled and are continuing to handle the volume is just kind of repurposing staff and you know, everyone's a PvP lender, whether yeah yeah, you might be a, uh, used to doing graphic design work for our clients or something and now yeah. all of a sudden well, you're a PvP lender today. Yeah. <laughs> so so you said a graphic designer for your clients. Do you guys offer extra benefits to your, your new loans and stuff like that? Yeah, so our um, as part of that technical assistance grant uh, that the SBA provides, and it provide, you know, provides reimbursement of time to us for, um, for work that we're doing for clients. And so that can, you know, a lot of times that includes like helping them with their loan application kind of on the on the front end of things, helping them get their application together, helping them maybe with projections or their strategy type um, stuff. But then we can also use it for um, things like uh, helping them build their first website or um, designing a logo for them. So, we can't. We don't have the staffing to be able to to do that for everybody. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, for clients where it's clear that they could use the help and they're open to the help and want yeah. help, we we do um, we do offer that. So we've got um, one full time designer that is primarily working with clients. Um, we've got a uh, business coach yeah. uh, that's working with clients. So. Well, it's, it's nice to know that there's more than just a bank. You know, right. some, sometimes people get money and then now what, right? So it's nice to have a little bit of direction. Would you say the majority of your clients use the direction? Um, yeah, to, to a 
certain level, I, th- I think so. Um, you know, we make an effort with, with everybody to try to, you know, say, hey, this is, here's some of the services we can offer and, like, make it available. But <clears throat> certainly some take much more advantage of it than others. And I think some, too, there's, you know, sometimes it's like, the business is obvious. We know what you need. You know what you need to do. We know what you need to do. You just got to go do it. It's like you're, uh, you know, it's a lawn care business. You know, got to go. Go to find someone to uh, to sell to, and then you gotta go execute. And yeah, there's not. We can help you make some flyers or something. You know, something to put your best foot forward. But really, like, it's gonna. Um, at least initially, now you know you could. That might be when it's just the one person and and a lawnmower. Yeah. There's not a whole lot uh, beyond beyond that. Now you could get a very complex uh, lawn care landscaping type business, um, certainly over time. In, in which case, there could be a lot more strategy that you'd be trying to help with. And yeah. Whatnot, so. so, what are some of the biggest misconceptions about Bankable? I think when people think of a non-traditional lending experience, there are misconceptions usually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, one of them that's that can uh, happen fairly often is you know so we're we're a nonprofit we're mission you know driven lender and so a lot of times I think people come in thinking um, I'm going to get a cheaper deal than the bank. This is a nonprofit, so they're going to lend to me at a at a lower interest rate or something. And, like like I mentioned before, that we 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 really want you to go to the bank. Banks are our partners. We are purposefully trying to make sure that we're pricing just a little bit more expensive. Not you know not credit card rates. I mean our our typical rate is eight percent um, right now, um, which you know kind of it's all depends on. Sometimes we have folks that are think this is great because they're used to credit card. 18, 22%, yeah. and if that's what you're used to, eight sounds wonderful. If all you've ever done is borrowed for your mortgage and you're paying 3%, then eight sounds terrible. <laughs> so yeah. um, it just, it's interesting. I think that is a, that could be a misconception where it's just, um, and there's also the, the misconception of uh, business lending versus personal lending. So you, you know, you might be used to getting the 0% interest on your new car for, you know, 48 months or yeah. months or whatever. The dealer's got some deal going. And so you have that in mind. If that's where you're kind of price anchoring and then you hear 8%, wow, oh, this is terrible. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's a that's a misconception. I'd, I'd say um, also uh, probably a misconception that we can say, that we say yes to everybody or you know that we say uh, you know if you're if you're denied by a bank and then you come to us and then we're just we're gonna be able to say yes to everyone and that's that isn't the case uh, we probably I think last time I looked maybe have around a 40% approval rate from application to to approval um, you know that's really just the nature of 
we are borrowing money from the SBA. We have to pay it back, whether you pay us back or not. Um, so we really have to make sure we get paid back. We're just willing to take a little bit extra risk yeah. than the bank is. Um, you know, if the bank can kind of aim for like a 2% default rate, like we, we might be perfectly happy with a 4%. Um, but it still means 96% we don't seem to pay back, right? Yeah. So we, we can't be wrong very often. Yeah, that makes, that makes things tough. So who is getting denied? Is there any like trends, similarities, assuming that they do have some value in their product or service? Yeah. Um, so with us and probably if you're, uh, if, if you're not bankable at a, at a bank, um, probably means that business is maybe a little less established. And, and so a lot of it is gonna kind of lean on your personal finances. Um, and so people that um, have low credit score uh, is obviously uh, one. Um, we don't have a specific credit score cutoff. So what we try to do is you know, look at collateral, um, outside income, co-signers that you might be able to bring to the table, um, and you know how the business is performing. Um, and, and then make, we don't have, so a lot of times they call it a credit box. And if you fall outside, you know, if this part of the box is, you know, it's a 600 credit score is a minimum and you've got a 595, you're just automatically uh, denied. We don't do that because you might have some really great collateral or you might, or maybe the business is just extremely profitable and growing. And yeah, you got a 595, but things are going really well. You know, that's how we can be a little more flexible than kind of that traditional bank. Um, but when you have, if you don't have some way to compensate for the for the low credit score, that's, right. or, or the lack of collateral, if you have no collateral and you have no way to compensate for that, that's that's kind of who's getting to that. Yeah, makes sense. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Well, I was just reading one of Ebbie's questions, so maybe uh, <laughs> Ebbie's questions are much more um, well thought out than my own. I actually want to talk about this, and this is not Ebbie's question. I went through the Bank Bull Meet Your Team page. You guys are a young group of human beings. So I want to talk about your talent pipeline, like the people that you guys are recruiting to work at Bankable. Um, yeah, from the yeah. your team page, you guys look like you have a large array of young talent. Yeah, I mean, I think what has happened uh, over the over the years is, um, especially early on, it was like, you know, I needed help. We couldn't afford help. You know, we couldn't afford full time help. So it was like, yeah, I need I need interns. You know, and and then the in you know an intern. We're we're paying the interns, um, but not. You know, they're full like salary, yeah. and you know, I mean, we're paying nice rates for interns. I think, I, you know, I, um, uh, but uh, but yeah, we kind of grew the business with interns and helped. The, you know, had the interns would then, you know, help us grow to the point that when they were graduating, we could then hire them full time, um, and so we. That is how we built a lot of our team has been with us from. 
you know, starting as an intern and undergrad and then staying on with us after graduation. Um, and, and I, yeah, I think that's, that's really been the, the strategy and, and it, um, and it, I think it's worked really well. And the other, I guess, piece of it too, the, the, maybe the secret sauce to, um, that strategy and giving this away is, you know, we do pay, we pay interns, but we do pay them, I think, we pay them usually 15 an hour or so, which might be, you know, close to double what you could get with, a, like, an on-campus job. Yeah. So if you're at Anderson University or Ball State or, you know, uh, nearby um, college, like, we're, uh, especially during the school year, you know, when you're not going to be down in Indy. If for a summer internship, maybe you go to Indy, you could get paid more, but, like, here locally during the school year that's close enough by um, you know our goal has been like let's we can get the best talent if we pay double what they can make on campus Um, and then uh, and then hopefully retain them after that yeah because they like the culture like the mission like the uh, like the business so Mm-hmm. And Eddie said that you, so Eddie went to AU, and he mm-hmm. said that you've done a couple presentations that he's mm-hmm. witnessed. Um, would you say that those talks that you gave at school, those connections that you have at AU, made probably the biggest difference just to get intern, the right interns to vet the... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's been uh, a mix of a number of different things. I mean, I think... Um, trying to build relationships with the professor. Then we had our uh, controller uh, was a professor in the uh, accounting, teaching some accounting classes, so he could say, oh, okay, this, you know, here's who's a, a great, would be a great fit. And, you know, also already has some rapport with the students as the professor, and so being able to hire, um, hire those folks uh, has been, has been good and then and then also like once you have kind of a core uh, of great people then you can say okay how, help us recruit your friend <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know you say like it's it's uh and he's been here for six months before he hired pretty much his <laughs> sister-in-law brothers <laughs> sisters <laughs> husband sister yeah. Yeah. but we found a great person on accident yeah and turns in one great person turns into a second great person yeah and I, that's what I find so interesting is being a young person in an industry where young people tend to not stay local. Um, they have opportunities elsewhere, whether it's on the coast of Chicago, getting paid more money to be in a cooler city. I think it'd be, if you want to grow Anderson, which at this point we want to grow a local community, try and keep smart, well-educated, enthusiastic young people local is super important, so I find that really cool. Yeah. So yeah, that's one of the things that I took away from everything. Um, so Adam, this question was not on your list, but it is on here. So I went through your LinkedIn. So this is kind of take a step back from Bankable. This is more about you personally. Would you consider yourself a finance nerd? And the reason I say that is I watched a 13-minute video of you describing financial projections. Yeah. 
to my financial nerd because I watched a 13 <laughs> video. How many views were, were you the one that uh, viewed that like six times? Yeah, that was me. That was me. So, um, can you talk to me a little bit about projection hub stuff that you do yeah. as well? Um, it's it's interesting. I don't think a lot of small businesses have probably ever run projections other than for a loan, let alone just to know what they're getting into. This probably should be something they do annually. So talk to me a little bit about projection hub. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my uh, my brother and I, um, I'm you know I yeah you can call me the finance nerd I suppose I'm the finance nerd. He's the uh, uh, coding nerd. Yeah, coding computer science nerd. Uh, and so he um, he helped me build the first version of projection hub, which really started back in 2012, and, and it was you know kind of. Through my work at Bankable, we were asking our clients for financial projections, and um, I would, you know, send. Them, I'd find these like templates online and send them to the clients, and then they kind of get this deer in the headlights look like, oh, how do yeah. I fill this out? You know what? Um, and so that that the idea was kind of like, well, maybe we could build like a TurboTax type solution to make it easier to complete projections. That was kind of the original um, vision, and so. Um, so that, that's pretty much, you know, I think we've, we have accomplished that. We have a, a software um, web application that allows you to create a basic set of financial projections um, without Excel. Um, you know, do that in the app and then you can download, um, you can download it as a PDF or Excel. Um, and then we, and then with kind of the projection of businesses, there's kind of the, the do-it-yourself option with the software, and then you know, a lot of people that sign up for the software initially say, uh, "Boy, I think I just need a CPA to help me," or "I don't have time for this. I got more important things I need to be doing. I need to go close that new sale and yeah. not be spending all day worrying about projections." And so they end up just hiring our our team to um, build out a custom financial model. And so we built a lot of uh, templates um, and then do custom work as well. And so, yeah, that, that video, uh, I've, I've been uh, just kind of taking, you know, clients will a lot of times send us their, their current projections and say, you know, here, look at this, help me make this ready for the bank or ready to go to that investor meeting. Um, and so a lot of times we'll, we'll look at those and then make some recommendations or, or update those for them. Um, and so yeah, I've been creating these videos where I kind of take what a client has sent to us and uh, you know, try not to pick it apart too much, but uh, yeah. just give some recommendations on how we might look at it or how an investor or lender might look at it and want to see it improved. So. Yeah. I'd call you the expert in somebody that can look at a projection and tell you what might be wrong with it, especially being on the lending side. Um, so, the last question is Eve's question. I'll let Eve ask the last question. It's literally the last question on here. What is your best advice for someone struggling to put their idea into action? Yeah, um, usually my advice for that is is just to start doing something. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of times people will come to us and they've been thinking about doing something for a long time and they're just, they're not, they're, they're kind of 
cleaning it uh, so much that you know the plan is it's never going to go to plan because COVID's going to happen or who know you know who knows what's going to happen. So um, I mean what what I've learned I've started several different businesses most have don't exist anymore because because they don't they don't make sense but projection up is has lasted uh now we're you know eight years old um and I, when i started i don't didn't know how to uh, write code i still don't <laughs> um, but i learned a lot about how to kind of manage uh, developers um, and, and through that process um, and learned what's possible with software and um, didn't know anything about marketing or how am I going to accept a payment if someone wants to pay me <laughs> you know just yeah. like all these things that you know I didn't have planned out ahead of time I just started and then figured it out as as it went so I that's what I would always say is just if you got something you've been thinking about doing just try it start with something and that's the best way you're going to learn just do it, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it's. I've learned way more by doing things and and screwing up or failing than I have by, like, watching. You know. I'm creating YouTube videos to try to help folks learn how to pro create projections, but still, if they were just in there trying to do it themselves, that's how they'd end up learning. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's working? So more than I learned from watching YouTube videos or listening to podcasts or whatever, which I do a lot of, uh, but I'm just trying to figure out how to do something myself is... Yeah, it's easy to listen to somebody try to rah-rah speech you into doing something, but it's a lot different than when you go in, you screw it up, and you have to pick yourself back up and yeah, try again. I'd much rather listen to somebody who failed in business and succeeded in one, but from the failures it came from. So, um, Adam... I appreciate you coming on. Um, as for Bankable, if people want to get in touch with Bankable uh, moving forward, how would they best do so? Yeah, just uh, bankable.org is our website. Uh, and you can you can apply there. Um, and then my email address is just adam at bankable.org. Feel free to reach out to me there. Perfect. If they're, um, so say a lender's listening to this and they want to send a referral, um, how can they do so? Should they just reach out to you directly? Or? Yeah, yep, yep. That that will be fine. We do have, <clears throat> we do have uh, a few um, we call them, uh, relationship managers on staff that kind of ultimately are kind of um, uh, working with different bankers and to just um, be the go-to person when the banker says, "Hey, I've got a deal that we can't get done, and we want to talk to someone at Bankable about is this something Bankable could." could potentially do um, you know a lot of times the bankers don't want to make their client that they just denied go through a bunch more hoops and get denied again so yeah talk to talk to me and talk to one of our relationship managers about a, a deal that you might have and um, we can hopefully point you in the right direction well then perfect thanks Adam. well thank you guys I appreciate you guys coming on